Hello listeners and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast. We are of course the Tottenham Hotspur theme show that's brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. I'm your host Dags and I'm joined this week by Dave himself, by Sox and by our producer slash sound guy slash director slash stat man Petros who joins us again for another week. Welcome back. You came back for another round even though we were bullying you last week. Well I felt like I just had to sort of redeem my overstatiness by bringing more stats to the table Excellent. today. And we look forward to it. Have you got some stats for us? Otherwise you know yeah, yeah. really short so, I did actually bring some stats to the table this time didn't just figure them out on the fly and by googling them like last time. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. Giving away the trade secrets. Yeah, that is the, yeah, Dave, <laughs> Dave, Dave's job. Dave's the one who shows up completely unprepared. The rest of us need to be prepared. Anyway, we'll have more from you in just a bit. And speaking of some stats, we have had two Spurs games to look back on this time. We've had four points from those games. There have been nine goals in those games, three of which came from the greatest Brazilian striker on the planet, Richarlison. And we're going to talk about all of that and more on this week's episode. And joining me for, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Dave, for the first time since entering a new decade, is the man himself, Dave. Is that correct? Your first that podcast is correct, in your yes. 40s. Look yes, at uh, that. Uh, I'm now a podcaster in my 40s, which I think is some kind of cry for help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think it might be. I think it might be. Can you tell me, Dave, on the theme of being in your 40s, there is one man who was your age at the time of scoring in the Premier League. Can you name that man? It's got to be Teddy Sheringham, hasn't it? It was Teddy Sheringham. Very good. At the age of 40 years and 268 days. So you've got a few days to catch up with so, that. So basically, I've still got time. Exactly. You, to get you that are Premier still League technically young enough to score yeah. a goal in the Premier League. Take it. As far as the evidence suggests. Sox, you are also young enough to score a goal in the Premier League. You're still <laughs> putting the feelers out to the scouts. Welcome back for another week. How are you feeling? What was your rageometer on a 1-10 to 10 this week? Are you going to bring us some Elio or are you going to be serene and calm? Yeah, good things. I'm waiting for the call from Aleph Attack or one of those from Saudi Arabia because I think they could do with the numbers. <laughs> so I don't think I'll be a Premier League goal scorer, but maybe somewhere in the Middle East. Rage-wise, yeah. hey, I'm okay. I, I, it kind of pissed me off for a couple of hours the Everton game yeah. and then I sort of go over it fairly quickly which I'm sure we'll discuss but yeah I'm not going to go for Lelio you never go for Lelio never go for Lelio it's good advice for life well speaking of Lelio he is missing another week he's still at AFCON we're, we're, hope, <laughs> we're wishing him the best but sort of secretly hoping that he comes back sooner and joins us again for another week because really we're all selfish deep down and we're only thinking about ourselves so uh, hopefully next week we will have Lelio rejoining us to talk about the Brighton game then which we're going to be previewing today but before that we have two games to look back on we're going to look back at the most recent game which was uh, a frustrating draw with Everton away, having been ahead, and of course, that 3-2 win against Brentford. We're going to start with Everton, because it's fresh in our minds, and frankly, I've forgotten most of what happened in the other games, so I'm going to need you guys to fill me in. Sox, overall initial thoughts on the Everton game? Uh, it was okay. It was a game that we struggled for control pretty much throughout usual kind of starting quite well getting an early goal they get back into it and then it just feels like a constant end-to-end kind of tug of war without us really kind of dictating the tempo of the game at all which has been a pattern for a lot of games we've had this season both home and away it was annoying to obviously concede as late as that as it always would be but at the same time I think one of the reasons I wasn't as angry as maybe I normally would be is that I felt like a draw was a completely fair result I don't think on the balance of play we really deserve to win so I can't really begrudge Everton for that so it was Wolves again. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think we were that bad. And I mean, you know, Wolves was the game where I think we had, you know, Dyer, Davis, Romero, 
yeah. or sort of part of the back four or whatever. So it wasn't like that shocking of a performance or anything, but it's a familiar pattern of some of our games this season. And I think these are sort of the, I'm starting to bore myself because it's a bit broken record with it, but these are the season one growing pains a little bit that I think in 12 months time, we would, even with a very similar team, win this game somewhat mm. comfortably. And uh, alas, this is just where we are at the moment. So it's not the worst point in the world. Like I know Everton are kind of crap, but that's largely to do with the fact that they're minus 10 points down to where they should be. I don't actually think that they're that bad. So I think there are, are worse places to drop points, to be honest. But 94 minutes is an, an annoying minute to concede a goal in. <laughs> it's like they're hustling us. They're pretending to be above the relegation zone, but really, <laughs> yeah. they're actually 10 points better than they're making out. Um, yeah, that points to a wider problem. And, and obviously, you touched on it there, 94th minute. And it's far from the only goal we've conceded in injury time this season, unfortunately. The appropriately named Spursy fan on Twitter points out, that we have now conceded eight goals in the 90th minute or later. Some of those were, of well, course... Is that one of your stats gone already? That is actually one of my stats <laughs> that you've just stolen my thunder. Um, but actually... Go on then, to, you can to, tell us. To, to, to add to that, we actually have dropped the most points in injury time than anybody else oh, this season. We are brutal. top of the league for that. What a trophy. <laughs> what a trophy. Dave, our Spursy again. What's going on? Well, it does feel like you've kind of regressed to a state that you were at a bit earlier in the season where you were struggling to put 90 minutes of consecutively good football together so I don't know yeah. if that's the returning players reintegrating into the team maybe but it does seem like from the outside looking in with very little knowledge like I am yeah it feels like you've gone backwards a little bit it does not only a little bit though I wouldn't say it's enough to be genuinely concerned but yeah but yeah you, you need to kind of arrest that slump back to the way it was and get back to being a bit more consistent I think yeah, I guess the real question is, why is it happening? And is it fixable? What can we do about it? And I think it's important to point out, first of all, that some of those goals aren't really that relevant. Because, you know, I think a couple of the games, I think the one against Newcastle, for example, we were already pretty much home and dry in that game. It was annoying for those of us who had Spurs defenders in FPL, but otherwise was pretty much pointless. And obviously a couple of those Chelsea goals were at a point where the game was gone and we were already, you know, down to nine men and all that. So it, it is a little bit of a misleading stat. But the point is, I think even in games where we haven't conceded, we've looked a bit shaky towards the end. I don't know if you'd agree, Socks. There's a tweet here from Tetrunk. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that Twitter name properly, but it says, be interested to see any available data on Spurs switching to a three at the back to close out games and it inviting loads more pressure onto us. It feels like a really weird thing that Ange has started doing, potentially just to accommodate Dragosin. That is something that I've noticed. I don't know if that's just a case of he comes on in the last 10 minutes and that's when we get nervous and that's when teams go for the goal. But Socks, can you pinpoint any reason as to why we seem to be struggling to close out games at the moment. I think we can see generally a lot of chances across the 90 minutes. So law of averages dictates that eventually one of them is just going to sort of fly in anyway. Like I think our XG against broadly is pretty bad across most games. So whether they're flying in in minute one or minute 90, I mean, in terms of the last minute goals, uh, was it eight games we've conceded in stoppage time, but six of those eight, we didn't actually drop points in. Some of those were 5-1 yeah. up against Burnley already. There was a 4-0 up against Newcastle already. That's it, One of yeah. those was Chelsea, where we were down to nine men for like an entire half. So that sounds a lot worse than it actually is. It's only this game against Everton and the Wolves game where we conceded two in stoppage time that are the problematic ones. And it's also worth bearing in mind that I think we are the third highest in the league from points gained from losing positions as well. And yeah. one of the main reasons we've dropped a lot of points from winning positions is because we often take the lead. So I think context is king with these sorts of things. In terms of conceding late on, 
I mean, I don't know. It could be cases of lapse of concentration. It could be that it, it reminds me a bit of Jose, actually, but for a different reason. I remember under Jose, yeah. we would score early on and then we would relentlessly defend for 90 minutes. <laughs> and when you invite cross after cross after cross after cross, all it takes is one mistake to turn into a goal. So it's yeah. just the volume of chances you invite. It's inevitable that one will go in. So without being an expert on this stuff, I would suspect that's kind of what's happening. But it hasn't really impacted us in too many games. I just think there will come a point where we cannot consistently put ourselves in a position where we need three goals to win a game. We did it against Brentford and it was fine. Yeah. And all these other games I mentioned that we conceded late on, Burnley, we were five up or whatever, and Newcastle, we were four up. It's not really sustainable. So I don't know why it's happening, but there will have to come a point where it's like, can we just win something 1-0? Like I'm in love with Angeball <laughs> as much as the next guy, but there is merit yeah. to just having a nice one or two nil steady performance where Dave's you're not having to sort of crab yourself for 9,500 <laughs> minutes plus. And I guess yeah. the final point as well would be, Games are a lot longer nowadays. Like there were seven minutes added on. That's true. At the end of that second half. So there are so many games now where it ends something closer to minute 100. And I, that's true of every team, to be fair. So maybe us being disproportionately affected by it is still something that's wrong with our system as much as anything else. But yeah, a lot yeah. of games, I'd imagine if they ended at minute 93, 94 this season, we're probably not having this conversation. Do you think it's partly to do with the fact that we have a young squad as well? Is that just being patronising? Because obviously they're, they're good uh, enough to win goals, they're good enough to do the good things well. Do you think that could just be a mentality thing? The fact that some of them haven't been here before, some of them haven't really had to close out pressure games that often in their careers, apart from, you know, Romero in the World Cup final. I think you take on a case-by-case basis, because if we're talking about the Everton goal, I think for me that was more so the fault of someone like Kuliseski, who is quite young but also experienced. We had about two or three chances to, to clear or play out of trouble. We failed to do that completely, and then we gave away a completely moronic free kick at a dangerous position. So... I think it's worth sometimes picking these things apart and going, okay, one individual error there. I mean, the one against, we keep mentioning this bloody game. I think we mentioned the Wolves away game more time on this podcast than any other yeah, match. it's living rent-free in our head, isn't it? It's, it's the one that keeps coming back. It's like, the cautionary tale, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was the, the Nadir, so to speak. That's the one that, uh... <laughs> yes, the actual Nadir. Probably not even our worst performance, but... No, but that, yeah. that was one where you think about it. It was, again, more individual errors from two or three players. So I, I yeah. don't know if it's something that is systematic or something that our players having absent-minded brain farts but i do think mm. there's a point where they're young but they're not in year three <laughs> like they're not kindergartners <laughs> like we can go about young and inexperienced but we've not gone full chelsea there's enough on the pitch there across the back line and onwards to not really be conceding this many well look we've just got four points from two games and we've got a win in there as well we scored a lot of goals there are definitely things to be positive about we've sat here so far and said nothing but negative comments so i think it's time we switch that around a little bit i'm sure we'll return to the negative stuff before too long dave I'm going to turn to you for the positivity. I might regret that, but you watched the Everton game. Was there much that you saw from Spurs there that you think we can smile about? Uh, yes. Yes, yes, good. plenty. So for the first goal, Adogi continues to look good when he's going forward. I think he is a danger. Yeah. Madison return gives you something you didn't have. And obviously his assist for your second goal was wonderful. Like good footwork, right? One of the finest six inch passes you're ever going to see. Uh, <laughs> just a slight flick of the outside of the boot to completely mm. free up the space for Richarlison. Yeah. And then Richarlison himself with two goals. He's the almost opposite of what he was previously for you guys, where everything he touches seems to be going in, which is yeah. a good sign. It's, uh, I was saying just before the recording, he's reminding me a bit of Patrick Bamford at the moment because he's kind of, he appears to be on a, a hot streak similar to the streak that Bamford is currently on. I just hope his barren streaks don't last as long as Bamford's do. 
Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the Bamford comparison in terms of I don't know if I should be happy about that or not. England international Patrick Bamford. That's it, yeah. Well, I mean, he, he is. we are talking about Brazil starting centre-forward, basically the second coming of Ronaldo Nazario on current form anyway. More on Richard in a second. You mentioned Udogi. Uh, you called it quite appropriately, you called him a danger, which is um, perhaps deliberately <laughs> ambiguous because he was dangerous at both ends, I think. Um, it, it, somebody shared that meme, that classic meme that goes around saying, uh, I asked my landlord to increase my rent. That's how much I've believe in the grind and hustle uh, that was kind of a dog in that game he gave him a couple of goals just to make it harder for us to win in the Brentford game we're talking about here but you're right he, he definitely had a, a couple of good moments going forward he's now got a goal and an assist in those two games which brings him up to five goal contributions for the season halfway to the tally that I predicted he would reach in our preseason hot takes so have a little bit of that um back to Richarlison so Richarlison's the headline ads he's the man everyone's talking about I think a lot of people expected he would be probably not even in the team by this stage of the season we didn't know what to expect he did not start the season well but something has clicked socks dare I ask you to come up with a theory as to why Richarlison suddenly looks like a striker worthy of the Brazilian number nine shirt? Yeah, last season he played most of his games under Conte on the right, which is the one position in the front three that he can't actually play. And then he was carrying an injury most of the time. And then even when he came back from the injury, he played on the right again. This season he started continuously carrying an injury irrespective of what position he was playing. And since his surgery in November for his... Was it a, a, a pubic related injury or something? Are we, are we giving all the credit to Richardson's dick surgeon? Is that, is that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I used I, I used the word pubic, but you went all in with the, with the yeah. dick surgeon. I was trying to give it some level of professionalism. No, yeah, yeah. Mr. Right it was Mr. Richard Surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> that reminds yeah. me. Actually, do you remember that thing with the Liverpool fans booking a coach for Everton fans under the name Richard Arlison? Oh, when right. when Richarlison was there, <laughs> the Champions League nothing final showed final. up for the Champions League final and they all missed the game. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I had to bring that back. Gosh. Anyway, sorry, Sox, I've thrown you off his stride. Back to Richarlison. No, no, no. Yeah, Richarlison uh, in effect- his freshly mended groin. Uh, yeah, yeah, effectively, you're seeing as somebody who, A, for the first time is fully fit and B, for the first time is actually playing in his natural position and lo and behold, he's a half-decent player. That's all it yeah. is. It, it's... If he had cost us 25 million quid last season, there wouldn't have been that much of a discussion about him. But when you cost 50 million quid and you score two Premier League goals or whatever it was last season, people are going to chuck context out the window because that's generally how this stuff happens. You're sort of seeing it happen with someone like Brennan Johnson now, separate discussion, a lot of premature judging. And I think he's another one who in 12 to 18 months time is going to prove a lot of people wrong as well. But yeah. on Richardson, I think it's that he's finally fit and he's finally playing in the right position under a good coach, I might add. I mean, last season, mm-hmm. we've spoken about this so many times before, there are only maybe two players of the 25-man squad that really walked away with their head held high that season, and those were Benson, Corin Kane. But Richarlison was always the one that got a disproportionate amount of criticism just because of the price tag. So I think it's a confluence of all those factors, really. I think at this point, the question mark is, is it a purple patch or not? But it doesn't strike me as something as a guy that is just hitting a random vein of form that he's never going to replicate because he was always a talented player at Everton. This is a guy that was hitting between 10 to 15 Premier League goals, primarily playing off of the left. In a poor team that was fighting relegation without that much quality around him under a succession of really kind of crap managers like Benitez, who's not crap, but obviously a bad fit. Lampard, who is crap. So (laughs) there was a lot to suggest that he would have been a good signing and now we're starting to see it. Yeah, a few points about Richarlison. First of all, he's now got 10 goals in the league, which is outstanding considering how far behind he was. Um, <coughs> sorry, sorry, Statman Statros, please, can you uh, can you <laughs> take the reins off of me immediately before I say too much? Why am I here? 
<laughs> right. Go on. 10 so, goals for Richarlison. Richarlison is not, not only just has 10 goals, but he's the first Brazilian to hit 10 goals plus this year in Europe. Yes, he is. Great stat. And uh, that's the, the most patronizing. In, the most impressive. <laughs> the, the, the most impressive. <laughs> I meant it. I, 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 sincerely, well, sincerely. Well done. Well oh, done. Well yeah. done, Petros. You're doing such a good job. That well was done. a lovely well, stat. I, I, couldn't tell was, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell if it was for me or Richarlison. Good for you, Richarlison. You've hit 10 goals. The first Brazilian to do it in the European leagues. Anyway, so the most impressive part about this, though, is that he has actually gotten eight goals off only a 4.4 XG in the last few games. Jesus. Last, which is the biggest overperformance I think I've seen since Hyun-min Song's existence. That's that. I'm, I'm really trying not to sound patronizing, but that's honestly a really good start. I like that one, especially because he's somebody who typically underperforms on his XG. And that's been the thing. He's gone in the bracket of the sort of Werners and Nunez and Jacksons of the world. You know, he's always been seen as a bad finisher. Yeah. But before this run of form that he's had, well, before the injury, he had one goal from three XG. That's it. So and, um, if we're going with like, are you going to do some maths to work out how many goals he's going to score for the rest of the season now? Oh, God, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not uh, 70. I'm yeah. not fucking well, well, um, That's debatable, but I'll move right past it. So one thing that is quite interesting about Richardson, and I'm going to throw this back to John McKenzie from TIFO and The Athletic. He has released a TIFO podcast recently where he has painstakingly sat there and watched many, many goals, many, many shots, in fact, from all the number nines in the Premier League and made data essentially on the number of touches that players have been taking before the shots. And he singled out Richardson as being somebody who is particularly good at taking shots early or at least in recent weeks he has been most of his goals have come from first time finishes or you know second time finishes like even the one from distance the other day where madison knotted into him and he took one touch opened up his body and shot across goal he's scored a lot of goals from one or two touch finishes which statistically is where most goals come from in football in general and i think that's a byproduct of the way andrew postacoglu's teams play and Richardson's tapping into it he's found where he fits into the team and how he can offer the most value to that system basically which is really good i would certainly not go on my quick assessment of that i'd go and check out the actual podcast from an actual expert who's put the time into it and done the studies but that was quite interesting um secondly this is the best out of all of them he now has more goals than callum wilson and Mikel antonio combined which is fantastic because they were both mugging him off in the beginning of the season as well as most of arsenal's and forward. more than all of arsenal's resilience combined dave richarlison's got 10 goals in the league harland has 14 could he what finish second no he, can no, he can't he, he's not going to get the golden boot to match his golden hair and his golden brazil shirt he's, he, i he's don't not? think he's going to win the golden boot now i think mm. uh Holland will be back and fine, fine, he's fine. back right now live as we speak he is and uh, I'd like to he, might, he might have scored a hat trick already because we're 10 minutes into the game so let me just quickly check no it's not real but yeah he'll uh there's not that many good strikers in the premier league and richarlison's one of the good ones so well yeah, well done you got him. Congrats. I think the question might be whether he actually starts when you've got a full strength squad. That is a great question. But one thing I do want to say is I think we're actually doing Richarlison a disservice, if that's possible, by just talking about his goals. Because in the last two games, especially, I think he's been absolutely outstanding at the entire repertoire of centre forward play. I think he's been so good. He's covered probably more ground than anyone. I'd be surprised, maybe Kulisewski, because he always does. But he's been absolutely up and down the pitch, making tackles, holding the ball up really well. He's done some really, really nice first time flicks with his back to goal to start counter attacks when the ball's been played out to him through the lines. I think at the moment, Sox, Richarlison basically just looks like the complete centre forward, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, that's the 
least surprising bit because when we signed him, that's what everybody thought we were signing yeah. him for as a, uh, instead of his mm. finishing. So it's it's the finishing bit that we were probably more concerned with in terms of him being a very technical battering ram, being able to hold up the ball, being a constant nuisance, incredible work ethic. That was the stuff that was a given. So mm. it, I, I'm not too surprised by that. I, I think that, again, is a consequence of him probably being able to move more freely after the dick surgery that you so you know, beautifully, <laughs> eloquently uh, put. So I don't think it's that much of a... A shock. I think against Man United more so than Everton, I think we probably saw that just because we were more in control of that game as opposed to anything else. But that is the aspect of him that does not shock me in the slightest. It's obviously great to see it, don't get me wrong, but it was always going to be the goals with him, especially with his feet, more so with his head, that we probably all had some question marks over. So I think it's probably just another indicator of him getting back into his full flow former self and as much of a kind of cliche stereotype. I know people say there are such things as confidence players. I think everybody's a confidence player because it's just yeah. A basic fabric of being a human being irrespective of who you are or what your job is so i think him actually feeling some love probably in his own game as much as anything else is is helping richardson was obviously fantastic i'm sure we'll talk about him again whether it's this week or next week but we have other players on the pitch other players who played well while we're on the everton game i think richardson's only real competition for the man of the match accolade was probably mickey van der ven who not for the first time has stood out and looked particularly dominant at the back and obviously ridiculously fast. Dave, what did you think of Van der Ven? He's quite something, isn't he? This is going to be awkward, but <laughs> I've watched the whole game. And you don't remember seeing him? And I don't really remember seeing much of him, which might be He's a too fast, thing. Dave. He's too blinking. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I was obviously too busy blinking, um, <laughs> so I missed him. But that's not a bad thing. You know, not noticing a centre-back because they're doing their job is quite a good thing, to be honest. So, yeah, I don't really have much else to add to that other than the fact that a defender that doesn't make any mistakes, especially when you park him next to Mr. Mistake, Christian Romero, is probably a good thing. <laughs> I have several notes on that day. First of all, Mr. Mistake is harsh. It is harsh. I'm well, not, I'm not I mean, sure I'm happy with that. Secondly... Well, I mean, he is a cracking assist for Brantwaite, let's put it that way. <laughs> Secondly, I don't know how you did not notice Mickey van der Ven. I thought his awe-inspiring speed and power... You know what it was? You know what it was? It was everywhere. I was still getting over the defensive masterclass I saw on the night before from from, from Mr. Joe Rodon. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to take this over to Socks. Dave, you have a timeout. <laughs> seriously, Van der Ven, he's not just speed, is he? He's not just a quick defender because I, I know we've we used to talk about I don't know Kyle Walker for example before he actually yeah. had to defend and say he used to just make up for mistakes by being quick. Van der Ven, he's not flawless. He can make mistakes, but He's not just a speed merchant, is he? I think we said this after the Man United game where we said his speed almost takes away from every other aspect of how good he actually is as a defender because it's yeah. his headline feature. Like He is, uh, I don't know if this is controversial to say, but I think he's a better defender than Romero for me. I've always thought Romero was slightly overrated by our fan base and isn't reliable because of how reckless he is. I'm not saying he's bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's a good to very good player. I've never seen him as anything world-class and I think a lot of our fans have hyped him up. I think van der Ven already... And it's premature, bearing in mind he's played about a dozen games. But if he can, uh, I guess I'll phrase it this way, if this continues and this is his level, assuming he's not going to decline in the only way in theory should be up, or even at worst, at worst, stagnate at the age of 22, which would be weird, then we've got 
an unbelievable player. Like he was so, so good at absolutely everything. His ability on the ball isn't world-class, but he's absolutely, I, I kind of liken him to Vicario where I think they're like a seven and a half out of 10 with their feet, which is just about good enough without being anything exceptional. But every other mm. aspect to his game is positioning the way he is in the air. Obviously a large part of that is aided by his pace, but he is just a genuinely, it's like Vatonga with speed. It is, mm. and and I don't say that lightly because I love Vatonga. He was one of my favorite ever players and he's the best centre-back I've seen at Spurs outside of obviously Ledley King. And I'm, I don't think Van der Ven is, there yet you can't say he's there because he hasn't done it consistently for as many years but you're looking at him and you start to get yourself carried away in the way I am now and think to yourself if you can keep this up in two three years you're going to be wearing a white shirt but it's not going to be the white shirt of Tottenham I've seen this movie play out so many times before (laughs) I've lost count of the amount of players you've tried to sell to Real Madrid on this podcast (laughs) don't worry it won't won't be me selling him it will just happen (laughs) organically (laughs) but yeah he was he was so so impressive I thought he was mad at the match I know they gave it to Richarlison because the the cliche thing is the person who scores the goals or whatever but he is frighteningly good and I'm almost starting to feel sorry for Dragashin or whatever because I don't think Romero is droppable because he just isn't and there's no way in hell Van de Ven is so this poor guy is signed for us over by Munich and he's just sat there looking miserable the handsome (laughs) bastard with his man done probably the promise of like getting more game time than he would at Bayern Munich yeah exactly He's, yeah, he's had to sit there watching Eric Dyer tearing it up in the Bundesliga as well. I do have a stat regarding Van de Ven. Stat alert. Yeah. yeah, this is quite an impressive one, actually. In the 14 starts he's made for us, he's only committed three fouls. Wow. That's quite outstanding. And when you're running that fast, you can be prone to reckless tackles. You see it a lot with a lot of players who are that fast. It's impressive. That is true. It's yeah. Maldini numbers. That is true. I think the amount of times you watch him sprinting back, and especially when he's sliding in, you're thinking this could go horribly wrong. And it rarely, if ever, does. So that's actually a really good point. Very consistent and disciplined, for sure. We've also seen the return of James Madison. Dave, you talked about him a little bit earlier. I don't think he's quite at 100%, but it appears he doesn't need to be. Yeah, I mean, he's technically so good that I think he's able to hide, well, certainly for probably 65, 70 minutes, able to hide the fact that he's not up to speed quite well because yeah. his, his ability kind of allows him to maybe not run as fast as maybe others have to run to make the same kind of impact in a game. But yeah, his quality. He has kind of picked up where he left off when he went out injured. And um, that was already, if you remember what we were talking about way back then, a step up from the way they'd been performing against uh, Leicester. So, you know, it wouldn't have been the wildest thing to assume that he would take a little bit longer when he comes back to actually get back up to speed. But from a technical performance perspective, I think he's gone straight back in there where he just needs to work on the fitness, I think. And then and then yep. he'll be, uh, be good for 90 minutes and lots of last minute assists. Yeah, absolutely. We're kind of jumping back and forth between the two games. This happens a lot when we have two games and we have to review them at the same time. It's hard to separate them and we just kind of amalgamate them into one big 180-minute mess. But I want to take it back to the second half against Brentford in particular, where obviously we went in at halftime, 1-0 down. It wasn't looking great. And then in a seven-minute stint, turned everything on his head. And I think this is as good a time as any to introduce Timo Werner to the conversation because, Sox, I know you were particularly impressed with him. We've seen a fair amount of him over the last couple of games now. Much like Richarlison, seems to have silenced quite a few critics already, hasn't he? Yeah, he was probably the standout performer, like the main highlight from that game. It was another game that was a little bit topsy-turvy. We got fairly rattled in the first half, both players and fans alike. And he was the kind of standout feature that gave us something we didn't have. Obviously, we saw him a little bit against Man United, which was his first game in starting in terms of several months. He was obviously unfit. City was a game where he made loads of runs and we didn't touch the ball enough to give it to him. This was the evolution of that where he kept making those same runs and we actually found them and look what happened. So it's nice to have somewhat of a direct runner. I mean, he's got the obvious flaws and frailties in that 
He hasn't been in too many shooting positions, but you can tell that he's probably not going to be a natural finisher that's going to hit you 10 to 15, even if he started with you at the beginning of the season. But if his role is to basically do what he did against Brentford as many times as humanly possible, then we don't have too many players that can do that, really. I think Brennan Johnson is the only other player we have that can run quite direct in that fashion. I I know we have Manor Solomon. He's more of an inverted winger as opposed to a direct one. He's been injured for so long that we've barely seen anything of him to make. I I mean, it feels like we've already seen as much of Vern as we have of Solomon, and I don't think that's actually too far off, to be totally honest. So, yeah, I mean... Look, Werner is a, a six-month loan deal with a £18 million pound option to buy or whatever. So even if the next few months are him doing that once every two or three games, then it will have justified the loan even if we don't choose to buy him. I guess the question is, is if he does start to do that more often, do we then exercise that for £18 million odd quid or whatever it is? Yeah. I think that's the thing I'm now interested in because I'm not judging him too harshly or whatever because of the loan aspect of it. And I think maybe that's an aspect of why he failed at Chelsea because they brought him in for £50 million quid, expecting him to be the main man as a goal scorer. Yeah. We brought him in for, as it stands, zero and are actually utilising him a bit smarter in terms of yeah, in his best uh, things role. that exactly yeah. that play to yeah. his strengths. So. Yeah, super happy with him so far. I mean, he wasn't as effective against Everton, obviously, but I think he set himself after, I think, both the Brentford and the Everton game. He's still actually working his way up to full match fitness. So hopefully we have a few more of those Brentford performances in the bag before the end of the season. Yeah, I saw someone ask on Twitter, would you take Werner for the 18 million or whatever it is if he carries on at this rate of assists? And I was like, well, yeah, he'll have like 25 assists by the end of the season at this rate. Uh, he's quick as well. We talked about Van der Ven. I think he's pretty quick. But I think more than that, it's he's probably the closest thing we have to a winger who can go both ways and go outside or go inside and actually take people on. He's yeah, He might not be Pedro Neto. He might not be Kavarashkelia. He's not a particularly skillful flair player, but he can take players on on the outside or the inside, which is something that, you know, with the possible exception of Kudusevsky, who's not been on form recently, we don't really have that much of. So it's really good to see. And I'm, I'm very happy for him. Also really happy for Johnson getting on the end of one of Werner's assists as well. Nice to see him come on. What made me laugh was the amount of abuse I saw on Twitter aimed at Johnson for him having the audacity to come off the bench at halftime immediately before scoring the goal a few minutes later, which was fun. So are there any other players that you'd like to shine a light on that we haven't talked about who were particularly good or particularly bad? Oliver Skip had a really good half, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I, I was surprised that he got taken off and then I was surprised mm. that he also didn't start, I guess, against yeah. Everton. Like, I didn't see anything from Hoiberg over the one and a half games that, I, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I say these Hoiberg things. Hoiberg was okay second half. He was fine. I mean, yeah. uh, it's Hoiberg. I'm tired of talking about him, really. Not because I like have a, a burning hatred for him or anything, but there's nothing more we can really say on him. At this point, we know what he's good at and what he's bad at or whatever. I just thought Skip showed more. And I think Skip is more likely to be a longer mainstay in this team in the sense that I wouldn't be stunned if he sold in the summer, but I'm not expecting it in the way I am with Hoiberg. So mm. I was a little bit miffed, if you want, that, that he got a substitute or whatever. And they do seem to be in the last few weeks rotating. Some games he starts one, some games he starts the other. So maybe there's something that... I mean, it's, look, whenever I, I question managers with these things, I always take a step back and go, like, this guy knows so much more than I do. Yeah. He sees I more feel than inse- you as well. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. He's got all the information behind the scenes. I almost feel insecure to come out and criticize him, and I kind of just take his decisions as gospel. So I, I, I guess there are certain decisions that are made where, because I can't see the reasoning behind it, whether that's because of my own limitations or otherwise, I'll look at it and go, that was a weird one. Do you know what I mean? Whether mm. it works or not. So, yeah, he did play well. Interested to see if he starts against Brighton on the weekend, I guess. Sox, is Elio's legendary humility rubbing off on you? You're actually <laughs> accepting that our manager might know more than you about who to pick in the team, yeah? Wow. Look at that. 
Dave, quick question for you. Uh, not really yeah. out of the football, but equally important. Can you give me a mark out of 10 for the chance that started going around the stadium just after halftime Brentford game when we took the lead, having been one up at halftime? Ivan Tony, you should have cashed out. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that was that's a good, good one, wasn't it? Yeah, that's good. You should have cashed out, Ivan Tony. You should have cashed out. Not that we glorify gambling or... I think know. the entire Premier League glorifies gambling so much that it's all a bit of a ball of hypocrisy. So I think it's fine. And now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, we've, we've kind of jumped back and forth between both games so much that I've lost track a little bit. And I know we haven't talked in detail about all the goals. There were lots of them at both ends. We haven't really talked about Kulisevsky because he's just not been very good. I think we're all just kind of secretly hoping that it's a blip and he'll be back to full form soon. He's been in and out of form for the better part of sort of 12 and 18 months and I think a large part of that is probably his ever presence like he, I feel like he's barely missed a minute of football for us this season outside of the one game he got suspended so it's easy to think that he's probably just a bit leggy he's also one of the few players that is constantly switching positions and feels like he's played about 500 different roles since he signed for us two years ago so I, I think especially for we spoke about it earlier, not an inexperienced player, but still a young player. There has to be an aspect of it. I mean, imagine any job in the world where every three months, you know, one minute you're doing email marketing and the next is content marketing and then the next it's affiliate marketing. It's all marketing, but it's a slightly different variation of the same flavor. Like, I think what he needs is some mm. consistency in the same position with the ability to kind of rotate in and out. In other words, Madison being in to kind of swap with him because that's the position that we've long spoken about is probably his best. So I think he's one of those players that has enough credit in the bank that when he goes to these poor dips in form, I don't think we have any reason personally anyway to be usually concerned. But I agree that I think he's one of those that when you expect so much of him, I think the performances that are even average to okay are going to stick out way more than someone's crap performance, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Sox is being too polite here. It's clear to see... It's Elio's fault. <laughs> Kulisevsky was doing fine out wide, and then somebody started banging a drum about Kulisevsky being good at number 10, and lo and behold, he's got all confused because he's in multiple yeah. positions. And we all know that Angelus was to Elio. it's absolutely Elio's fault. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This is why well, he, had suddenly... he had the other he doesn't, so let's decide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is why Elio suddenly started being all humble and being nice about our manager because he knows he started listening to the podcast. Exactly. We'll see. I think Kudasevsky is one of those players that's just so damn good that he has to have a spot somewhere in the team. It just depends on where that's going to be and where he's going to have the most effects. But I expect he is definitely on his way back sooner or later and we have not seen the last of him for sure. Shall we have a look ahead to... The next game, which is against Brighton. Brighton at home, of course, didn't go particularly well for us in the last time we played them. I would describe Brighton as FC Gattuso. <laughs> in that uh, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. <laughs> See, Socks, you stopped short of doing the borderline racist Italian accent last week. I just went straight oh, into was, it. Oh, that was Italian. Well, yeah. it, was, it was a half-hearted Italian accent. I didn't want to well, try too hard. But to get straight back to the point, Brighton are a mixed bag, I think it's fair to say. In the last few games, they've won 4-1 against Crystal Palace. They've lost 4-0 against Luton Town. And they've managed to put five past Sheffield United in the Cup in a 5-2 win as well. They've scored four against us, of course. Dave, do you have anything to say about Brighton? Has Zerbi been found out? Are they basically just an even more open version of Spurs who can just get cut out in transitions and torn apart on the counter? I mean, they don't like to lose little, do they? When they lose, they lose big. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and I think that is partly because they are in a kind of a similar Bielsa vibe, kind of set in their ways in the way that they want to play the football. And when it goes wrong, 
it stays wrong. You know, there doesn't seem to be that much adaption in game for them to be able to stop the rot of a game that's gone away from them. Um, no plan B. Kind of, yeah. It's plan A. Plan B do, if, Yeah, exactly. Do plan A better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, with that in mind, obviously, there's a big chance that you'll be able to, you know, start scoring early and not stop and have a nice, big, comfortable win at home. Because I think the other thing that's worth saying is that they are uh, very impressive at the Amex and less impressive away from the Amex. Mm. And... It's at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Therefore, you should win. How's Weirdly, that? despite the fact that we lost and we were at 1.4-0 down to them in the last game, I saw enough in that game to think that we could do quite well against them because when we actually remembered how to play football and we scored our two goals, it was too little too late in the end as it turned out, but mm. I thought we looked really good. And I think they are similar to us in the sense that they play high-risk, high-reward football. But I feel like we have a bit more stability and sometimes it works a bit better for us. Whereas when they fall apart, like you say, they fall apart in a big way. But to be honest, this is one of the hardest games to call, one of the hardest games to predict. The numbers would have you think that this is destined to be a 7-4 victory one way or the other, the way both teams have been recently. <laughs> I went to the Palace-Brighton game in December, oh, yeah. in late December. The world's worst rivalry. Yeah, yeah very strange. Um, mm. Also, really, it was quite ugly, uh, the, some of the scenes outside the ground, but that's a different thing. Was that just Crystal Palace? I was, I was just in Croydon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, was, it kind of shocked me how terrible Brighton were in that yeah. game they only really got a point they got a point out of it and the, the game ended one all mainly because Crystal Palace apparently seemed to sh- themselves 20 minutes to go and think oh my god we might actually win this game and then they just sat on their own goal line and invited Lewis Dunk to get further forward and further forward until eventually he couldn't miss from a, from a header actually it wasn't Lewis Dunk but you know what I mean I think it was Danny Welbeck who actually got the header but basically pulling back pulling back pulling back until it was inevitable that Brian was going to score but before that point they were awful and they didn't really have anything which has made me not that surprised at the tonkings that they've received recently but mm. also quite surprised that they've still managed to have that uh, attacking flair as well especially with I think Matoma's injured isn't he he's, he's kind of out long oh, term he's been out so, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and he was the main man at the start of the season wasn't he but yeah I, I honestly think it's an opportunity for you guys to get some more goals because your attack is strong you're at home and Brighton have the potential to just not turn up at away yeah. games so I think uh, you should be looking at that game and thinking that's your next three points <laughs> now you've done it that feels like a bit of a coin flip that game to be honest and I think all you've done just now, Dave, is convinced me even more that they are just Spurs light, which uh, sounds incredibly <laughs> insulting. But I feel like there are a lot of parallels between the two teams. Socks, do you have any thoughts on Brighton? And perhaps more importantly, no, you're shaking your head. Do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on how we should line up against Brighton? And I don't necessarily mean with Brighton in mind, just in terms of form, availability, players that are going to be coming back and available and what you see in the last couple of games. What is your team for the weekend? I think the only obvious change is Saar coming back in obviously he came off the bench because he just returned from AFCON I think Marley had yep. been knocked out but Basuma contracted malaria and I'm not a malaria oh, really? expert yeah so I remember reading after the first game he got substituted after 60 minutes for having malaria yeah. and I was like did he get it at half time like what the hell's going on and he had How it the whole time in his face. yeah well he's, <laughs> he's been sat on the bench I did some reading on it out of, out of curiosity I don't want to turn this into like a malaria segment but apparently it is quite treatable I know Bamiang and Drogba have had it in the past but yeah, I, remember, I think with yeah, any yeah. viral illness it probably takes a few weeks to get back up to speed so I don't know how available he'll be I guess we have to wait to hear what Anch has to say because there's not been any official communication from the club but I think Saar is the only other one that 
is the obvious one to come in. I actually wouldn't mind yeah. seeing Bentancur drop because we were all yeah. celebrating when he came back miraculously early. And I think we're now seeing why he came back miraculously early because he's playing like a man that is nowhere near. I mean, the 30-minute cameo, so, if yeah. you want, he had against Villa when he came back from the ACL. He looked 100% back to his best. He got the ankle ligament damage that happened because of Matty Cash. And that was the thing that kept him out for two months. He comes back a month earlier. I think that's what he's carrying now. I don't think it has anything to do with the ACL. I think it's the most recent one. So I wouldn't actually mind seeing him dropped. And it's not been surprising that he's been subbed off the last couple of games as well. And I think with Saar back, even if they're different players, I don't think there's anything wrong with a Hoiberg, Saar, Madison midfield. But other than that, I think the team picks itself. I mean, there's mm. what, three games, or oh, sorry, we, we've now got one game a week for the foreseeable future. So the only thing that will kind of justify any rotation beyond the odd position is kind of injuries and fitness, so or lack thereof. So I think it will be the same team with Saar probably in. And then at that point, I think we are in a bit of a weird position where you said Brighton sometimes may be good, sometimes may be sh- I'd probably argue the same for us at the moment with our last sort of few, not just results, but generally performances across the board. So it's one of those games where I don't think there's a single result that would shock me, honestly. So I'm going in with cautious optimism. I definitely agree with that. So when you say the same team, you mean the same team from the Everton lineup then? So from the Everton game, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you, Johnson you and Kulisewski at the moment. Then, yeah. Well, I think Johnson and Kulisewski isn't so much a coin toss as, as it depends on what you want because they offer you completely different things. I mean, Johnson is a direct runner. Obviously, Kulisewski is not that. So that. Two totally different profiles. So that will be something that's influenced purely tactically as much as anything else. And I'm not going to speak on that because, quite frankly, I don't know. But I think that's the only thing that I would expect to see changing over most of our performances. But I think every specimen will be agreed at this point with the mm. current team we've got now until Sun comes back. Werner, Richarlison pick themselves. Madison is obviously there. The back five is the back five. Saar, now that he's fully fit. So there's only really two positions in is Benton Cole worth dropping and that Kulisevsky Johnson thing that the only ones that I think merit any kind of debate at all so yeah, yeah picks itself and meanwhile speaking of players coming back you mentioned Sara's on his way back Basuma hopefully is, is well and up and running again Son is still in Asia on a bit of a fairy tale run a la Spurs in the Champions League coming back with last minute dramatic winners and scoring a free kick as well while he was at it and one interesting piece of discourse that's come up on Twitter that I, I want to get your opinion on is uh, there seems to be a lot of people that are <laughs> I, I, I hesitate to even bring it up because it's a bit of a silly thing to even have made it to be a conversation but a lot of people seem annoyed that Son is out in Asia at the Asia Games with his country of which he is captain <laughs> trying to win and are you know at best rooting against him or at worst actually feel like he's letting down his club and you know are actually angry at Son for choosing to represent South Korea at, at these games I assume that you're nowhere near that school of thought Sox but what are your thoughts on it in general when you see Son in these games knowing that every game he wins means he's possibly missing important games for us in all seriousness honestly are you rooting for him do you want him to win those games or are you thinking I kind of sneakily hope he loses so he comes back and we get him back sooner I think if, if they didn't get knocked out of the group stage at this point he might as well go off and win it like I, I do like yeah. our players as people and Son is absolutely one of them that I think can go down as a bona fide Spurs legend it would suck if he won nothing I think he has won the under 23 Asia games which is what made him More exempt trophy. from military service but yeah. I think the Asia Cup from what I understand is much bigger so it would be nice given he hasn't won anything with us I, I would love for him to go off and win something in the same way that I, I was happy for Hugo Lloris winning the World Cup and Christian Romero winning the World Cup as well so 
Yeah. At, at this stage, what well, I think they're in the quarterfinal or is it the semifinal? The, Semi. One of the Semi two. Now. Yeah. Semifinal. Okay. I, I, at this point, the difference in him making the final versus getting knocked out of the semi is probably fairly negligible. And I think we can win enough games without him. So I'm surprised. I mean, I, I didn't know the stuff that you mentioned, really. I'd be shocked. I mean, if it's like a loud minority, huge... in truth. You I was going to say, like, I'd, be su- I'd be surprised if it's the majority at all. Yeah, no, no, no. F- that like i hope he wins it yeah if you're listening and you think that fuck you you're wrong fuck you sorry <laughs> i guess the the silver lining of something away is that we have had some players given more game time players that perhaps wouldn't have played as much like Werner, like richarlison or, or depending on where some would have fit into that it does of course present the problem of where does song come back into the team when he is back socks and I, i'm curious to get your thoughts on this you know for argument's sake if we had a fully fit son available he is definitely playing there's no way son doesn't start in our team where everyone's fit but what does that mean for Werner, for Richarlison, for Johnson, for Kulisevsky? Like, do you try and move people around? Do you put Werner on the right, for example? Or is that just playing somebody out of position and you're not going to get the best out of him? I know it's a nice problem to have and there's rotation and you have subs, but what's our best starting lineup at the moment? I mean, we saw it before. This was before we signed Werner, granted, but before someone off for the Asia Cup, it was him on the left, Richardson up front, and mm. one of Johnson and Kulusevski on the right. I've said this consistently. I'm not a fan of Sanat on the left, but he's in a position where he just can't not play. There's, there's no yeah. way you can't yeah. not play Sun. Mm. Richardson, you also can't not play. So rather awkwardly, they kind of... Uh, this is a consequence of us basically having no European football. If we were in Europe, which would start this coming week all over again, we would just be able to go, okay, well, Sun can play There's a nine for one of them. He can get rest and rotated in for Richarlison. With only one game a week, unless there's an injury, it will be Sun awkwardly ham-fisted out on the left, Richarlison up front and somebody else on the right. But I'm not a fan of it. And if you ask me now who I would rather on the left with everybody available, I would honestly, I'm of half a mind to pick Werner just because I think he's a better option. But yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's not like a dreaded problem. Like you don't look at Sun and Richarlison as part, especially this Richarlison on this current form yeah. as part of a front three think oh no what will we do but it it, it still feels slightly square peg round hole i guess this is going to sound really reactionary but honestly if you were to ask me who i think is more effective in our system on the left right now out of verna from the last few games and son that we've seen recently i would pick verna i agree but there's you just can't not play son and okay if you have to pick between richarlison and son up front it's a real dilemma again because, you know, as good as Richarlison has been, he is never and probably never will be human son at his best. But you've got to pick players on form, haven't you? It's it's this complete dilemma at the moment, which, you know, I don't think it is as big of a dilemma as I'm making it because you would, we know Son will play because he's the captain. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. And I'm sure we'll have an injury at some point that'll make it a very easy decision because we're Spurs and that's what happens to us. Transfers. We ended the last episode talking about how we were on the verge of signing a young Scandinavian wonder kid. We have, in fact, done just that, except it wasn't the one we thought we were signing. That was hijacked by Brentford of all teams, I believe. I don't know if that even went through. Did the medical end up falling through and he never signed for anyone? That was Antonio Nusa. But we have signed a young man by the name of Lucas Bergval, who, uh, as well as having a name that sounds like an amalgamation of Lucas Mora and Stephen Bergwijn, which uh, <laughs> is bad news for any defenders in the 98th minute, is um, a very highly rated <laughs> talent by all accounts. And what's more is he turned down Barcelona to sign for us. Dave, how massive are Spurs if this 18-year-old wonder kid is picking us over Barcelona? So massive. I mean, you've got this guy picking you over Barcelona. You've got Dragasin picking up Bench over Bayern Munich. Yeah. Oh, it's the dream. Does all this actually mean that the Premier League 
is the be all and end all now. And these kids growing up have known nothing else. Now that there's no Guardiola, there's no Ronaldo and Messi, does the La Liga not have the pool that it has for that generation anymore? I mean, I don't, I don't know how much they offered him and how much you've offered him, but yeah. I'm guessing you offered him more. And I think there's probably money that has something to do with it. But yeah. I don't know. The Premier League's weird because <laughs> Leeds are busting a gut to try and finish in the top two to get back into it. But I don't really want to go back into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's ugly I'd, love to win, I'd love to win the championship every season it's great yeah. um, whereas the Premier League's dare I say it tad predictable and, and a little bit soulless sometimes and, and yeah. you know picking up the best 13 year olds that you can from the back streets of South American countries is what they do now in the Premier League so yeah please no one lift that out of context from the podcast <laughs> what they've just said that's going to sound very bad um, we just we just we just well you can't even get it from the back streets of Leeds you know if you, if yeah. you don't want to travel you know, you're going to be more local uh, equally Man, C- Man City have just signed a 14 year old from Leeds because really, that's how it works wow, now. it's, it's yeah. mad isn't it wasn't well, it for like a million pounds or something utterly mental yeah six figures and a bunch of wild performance related things <laughs> <laughs> wins the golden boot in the next <laughs> 23 years then yeah. is he going to get a, a birthday cake <laughs> is he going to get a birthday cake on his 18th birthday though like Lucas Bogart did in his <laughs> announcement video well you really um, hope so you? you'd like to think so wouldn't you in all seriousness I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert on teenage Scandinavian footballers uh, Lucas Bogart is a speed um, <laughs> according to my extensive YouTube scouting looks like Ronaldinho because they all do. Sox, do you know much about him? Have you opened up Football Manager to look up his stats? Have you looked at a YouTube compilation? Do you have any information on Bergvall that you could share with us? So I started reading a really good article on him that somebody oh, yeah. had actually written up before we signed him and it got three paragraphs in and they wanted money and I refused to pay them. So there's no, <laughs> I, I didn't actually get to any of the good bits. So was I can only quote bait? something was about... Three, three paragraphs of clickbait? No, it was good, but it was all about the Swedish Academy that he came from and absolutely nothing about him. So I can't yeah. use that, unfortunately. But I, I've seen him on, on YouTube. He, he reminds me closest to someone like a Frankie de Jong, like, like that type of a mold of a midfielder oh, really? somewhere between a, a, a six more of an and an eight. player than that. I would have thought. He struck I, me I as, had a he's, Madison Erickson in my head. No, he looked a lot deeper. Someone that can kind of progress the ball from deep. Definitely a, a left centre midfielder in the kind of the young mould. Again, I'm, I'm going mm. purely off of YouTube here. So I think what's interesting is that the conversation around it was very much that we were signing him to be a part of the first team as opposed to someone that goes straight into our academy, which is what yeah. we did with Ashley Phillips. Obviously, he's now been loaned out to Plymouth. So I do wonder, obviously, there was talk of Conor Gallagher and stuff, if this has actually completed the midfield now for next summer and and to the point of does he pick Spurs over Barcelona or are we now massive I mean Barcelona <laughs> don't even have a coach as of next season so I, I reckon that probably factored in his play in terms of money probably, I don't know yeah. but yeah. I, I think if you look at what Spurs are we are we're a really really good club for these sorts of players in that when you think of the clubs that are objectively bigger than Spurs to go to the next level that's substantial it is Barcelona Bayern Munich Real Madrid like there aren't too many clubs that are bigger than Tottenham that aren't those football clubs anyway and if you look at the players we sort of signed I mean we signed Gareth Bale at 17 he was there for seven years and then went to Real Madrid Modric was there for four went to Real Madrid so if you're someone like Bovar you can look at it and go I could spend half a decade at this club still only be mm. 23 and then get my move to a Barcelona, maybe at a time where they're more stable anyway. So I do think, I mean, we were talking about with Antonio Nusa where he had chosen Brentford over us, not because Brentford are a bit better club, but he and his team, obviously that fell apart because of his injuries. Yeah. But he yeah. and his team looked at it and thought, I'm play? only 18. I can get a move to a club like Spurs or bigger within a few years. So yeah. if anything, it, I'm not happy just because he's picked us. I'm happy because he seems to have a really sensible head on his shoulders because he's looked at Mm. Spurs and Barcelona and hasn't fallen for the allure of what is 
the second or third biggest club in the world. And he's made a very sensible decision, I think, for his development. So I don't want to go down the road of, you caught me out earlier for selling one of our players to Real Madrid. This guy hasn't even <laughs> properly signed yet. And I'm already doing it prematurely. But You're already giving I, I, him a sell-on clause. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly, yeah. The Daniel Levy special. But yeah. no, I understand why he picked us. And uh, the fact that he is coming straight into the first team, and if that is true, and it's not just like media nonsense, if we've looked at this as an 18-year-old, then it starts to make you think like, okay, how how good is he if we've already made this assessment and this judgment of him? So I'm kind of excited by mm. that more so than anything else that we think at this age, he's already ready to to come into the first team. That's It's very rare that you get a talent that young that is first, um, you're looking at Wayne Rooney's and, yeah. and obviously that was at 16 and Lionel Messi's and stuff like that, that are the, the prodigious talents that are first team ready. Bear in mind for a club that is a top six club that will almost certainly be in Europe next season, not just for some random ass piece of shit. Premier League, like we're not Crystal Palace, no offense. Like for a for a good football Some club offense, here, like I imagine. <laughs> they're not listening. Palace. We've already <laughs> we've already mugged off their neighborhood once. And now we call them a random piece of shit. Yeah. No offense. Their neighborhood leads in the back streets of every South American country. No offense, but your club is a piece of shit. Croydon's a shithole. No offense. Anyway. <laughs> I'm Here's staying 50 quiet. million for Elite. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. And I think the rumour is, I don't know all the sources because yeah, I'm not that well prepared, but the rumour is he has been brought in to play first team football and it should be reiterated that he's not joining until the summer. He's been loaned back for six months, which is obviously what we've done with Destiny, what we've done with Saar and Delhi in the past and it's worked out well. But yeah, he will still be an 18-year-old player who presumably is going to get some first team performances at the top level of Spurs, he's obviously talented. And I urge you to look up his YouTube compilations if you if you haven't already. There's one clip in particular where he's out on the touchline. I don't know if you guys have seen this, and he's got two players in on him, and he kind of does some weird sort of swivel turn with the outside of his foot, and then like almost back heels it through someone's legs inside to a player on marks in the middle. It's, it's beautiful, lovely piece of skill. And I'm basing my entire assessment of how good he's going to be on that moment alone. Um, but anyway, we're going Quite to see right. how, how he fits in. Uh, very excited there. Has anyone managed to find his football manager stats? Because that's what we all really want to know. While we do, actually, uh, <laughs> speaking of football manager, I don't know if you guys read this earlier, but this made me laugh. This is from a football manager Reddit thread. Anyone else use this game as Daniel Levy simulator? Sat here maniacally laughing over the deal I just cooked up on deadline day to get a loan with an option to buy with a player where instead of the 2 million they wanted, I offered them 200k with 175k of that being an instalment. <laughs> a 20 million bonus if Dundee wins the Scottish Premier League before next year. I'm currently relegation dogfighting. And a 5 million bonus if I win the Scottish Cup before next year that I'm already eliminated from. This is how I play the game. I don't understand tactics or attributes or even the scoreline. I just cook up insane deals like this and I love it. Edit, and better yet, the fans are mad I wasted a loan slot on him. Truly the Levy experience. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely brilliant. absolutely brilliant. And all I want to do is try that myself now. Um, manager um brilliant well that's kind of getting to the end now i would look at the league table but it doesn't look particularly encouraging how are man city getting on dave have you been keeping an eye on the score has my captain got me some points yet um they were getting close to being absolutely fm'd because <laughs> as, they at, now? at one point it was brentford had, had 25 percent possession one shot one shot on target compared to man city's like 20 shots and it was one nil <laughs> to brentford thanks to neil Maupay. Oh my who goodness. miraculously has not been mentioned yet on this podcast, probably because we've had another game to call off. Let's since move. Then. Let's move straight past him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but he's won, he all, he's won all at half time. 
Neil Mopé, who thought it was a flex to say that he has scored more goals than a midfielder in his career and hasn't been relegated. And that's all he has to boast about. But anyway, uh, I'll save that for Elio, shall I? I can't believe he actually said that. You've been in the Premier League for three years. He's been in the Premier League for ages. He's also played most of his career in the second tier, I think, if I'm not mistaken. As well. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, fun, we don't, we yeah. don't need stats to determine that Neil Mopé is a significantly worse footballer than James Madison. But oh, anyway, fine. I'll just leave then. We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, bring them for next time you can come up with some stats for that uh one thing i did i know we're going along with this podcast already but one thing i did want some opinion on actually taking it back to transfers and transfer rumors in particular and this is actually via paul o'keefe who if you don't know is quite a well-renowned reliable spurs itk dave there are rumors circulating that spurs are seriously interested in signing rafinha of all players, a man you know well. Um, given your good experience of watching Rafinha and Ellen Road over the years, and of course, having seen plenty of Spurs, how do you think those two could marry up? Is that a match made in heaven? Well, I mean, he'd be your best forward. Wow. If he joined. Wow. He's, Bold he's, claim. He's absolutely mustard. And I'm not just saying that because I'm wearing a yellow top. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a Barcelona looking to sell him? Don't ask and me. How and, how much would you have to, and how much would you have to pay for him? <laughs> Apparently, we are in. He is on a list. There is allegedly a list of high-profile, expensive wingers that we are in for, which I'm deducing. I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all if we haven't been paid for him yet, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, if, if it means we get paid more quickly, sure, I'm all up for yeah. that. That's a good point, actually. We, we're talking about why this guy's come to us instead of Barcelona. He probably wants to get paid his actual wages. <laughs> probably part of the reason, isn't it? <laughs> Can you um, guarantee that I'll get paid every other yeah. week? The, the two, the two <laughs> names that we have been linked to, uh, according to Paul O'Keefe, are Rafinha and Pedro Neto, who, of course, has looks outstanding oh. for. Uh, well, on behalf last... of all Pedros and Petroses <laughs> everywhere, I'm. Uh... You're, you're in for it, yeah. The guy that I captained at the weekend, Pascal Gross at Brighton. I'm going to have to get him out of the team before you play them. But uh, he got two assists at the weekend, so he went over there. You captained Pascal Gross. I spent four points to transfer Pascal Gross out of my team for Anthony <laughs> Gordon, who scored four points and went off injured. So, I got so 22 take, points. For more for FPL gross. tips, follow me on Twitter. I got 22 uh, points you for some, Gross. You're welcome. Fantastic. Do you have some weird FPL fetish for Brighton players? Because wasn't it a season or two ago you triple captain Lewis Dunk for no reason whatsoever? That is the, the most Dave move. The that I passed Dave League and you're right behind me. I thought this mad bastard has got Phil I'm basically at the point where I have to captain someone that nobody else is going to captain to try and make up some ground and uh it was Pascal Gross's time this weekend. Who, kn- who knows who it will be next weekend? <laughs> this should I'm be gonna, a running segment. I'm going to move this podcast on because I feel like our listeners have probably switched off already, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to wrap things up. So while we're on the point of FPL, I would like to know who Davis K is, who is currently top of the league and the only person ahead of me in our league. So if you are listening, Davis K, please reveal yourself on Twitter. Not not literally. Please don't do that. But uh, please tell us who you are. I do have one last quick stat about Mickey van der Ven that I've just seen. He is the fastest player in the league this season with a top Shocker. speed of 37.38 kilometers an hour. Uh, we could have told you that without stats. Do you have, by any chance, any figures on the number of feces left by bears in woods? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, as I would like to go on this... Uh... Expected excrements per 90. <laughs> How many pokes have been Catholic? I've been on my walk with my dog recently, and uh, I found several per square feet, um, <laughs> one of which I stepped in. 
I never thought I'd say this, but I feel like the lack of Elio is actually <laughs> contributing to the downfall of the structure of this podcast. I won't go that far. I won't go that I, far. I feel, I, think... I feel like I'm on better behavior when he's here because I see the disappointment in his eyes when we start talking about stuff like this. So there's, there's <laughs> nothing to stop us going on these tangents. I am going to wrap this up now because I have to edit this and this is going to be a long old episode. But I will just finish off by saying, can you please get in touch with us? Can you please follow us on Twitter? We need friends. Please, please get in touch with us on Twitter. We are at Plus Day Podcast. You can email us at Plus Day podcast at gmail.com i'm at plus dave dags dave is at fantasy dave and socks is still not on twitter because he is way too cool for twitter and our stat man petros is at petros of sparta so uh, follow him as well there you go you get a little shout out for twitter as well but yeah follow us on twitter email us and of course if we haven't scared you off i mean by now if you still listen then i think we are beyond that but if we haven't scared you off then of course please come back to listen next week where we will be discussing that brighton game and looking ahead to the wolves game and many many other things planned for on the agenda and otherwise in what will hopefully be a much cleaner sharper well-organized podcast than this one has been guys thank you all so much for joining me once again thank you everyone for listening stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you next week Here's Luke.